this is my little salute to Hollywood. Hooray for Hollywood. That's screwy ballyhooey. Fill this out in triplicate, $5 filing charge. What do you think of me in the movie Big? That was me going, fill this out in triplicate. What'd you think? Uh, Come on, why are you making that no, face? I thought it was like, wow, she's really good because I know you and you had your eyelids a little closed, right. like an attitude. Right. And there's one part where you go, huh. <laughs> when they say, how long is this going to take? Six weeks. Sometimes longer, but you could get lucky. Next, please. Get it subtle, but it said so much about how bored you were. Exactly. That was exactly what mm -hmm. Penny Marshall, who is the director, uh -huh. said. Because uh, I only got to work on the movie for about an hour, and they were going to another location. And Penny Marshall said, do it like you hate your job. You don't really want to be here. You wish it were over. Yeah. I get a lot of directions like uh, that. What was Tom Hanks like? Well, he was, he was so sweet and so handsome, and he stayed in character. I sort of said hi to him when I walked in. It was like, hi, how are you? And I walked out and I thought, okay, what what was that about? You know. So he was staying. He was. He was staying, staying in, in the young the kind young of character. Boy character. And when I finished my little part, uh, thanks. It was great to play with you. And again, I thought, wow, he's really. And he was up for Best Actor Oscar. That was his first nomination mm -hmm. for Big. Wow. I feel like I had something to do with yeah, it. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yo yeah. yo, Hollywood. I love me some Robert Osborne. Okay. He's worked every angle you can in Hollywood. He's been an actor and an author, a critic, a columnist, a film historian, and he's got this passion for classic films. And that led him to being the host, heart, and soul of Turner Classic Movies for the last 23 years. Here's how that love affair for the movies began. Was there a particular movie or a particular moment that you remember going, wow, there's something here? I remember a gee whiz moment in one of my favorite movies, The Razor's Edge, with Jerome Power and Gene Tierney. The Razor's Edge has 30 seconds of, I think, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen on screen, and that is a shot with no dialogue, but a beautiful Alfred Newman music score set in a beautiful apartment in Paris with a chandelier and a staircase of Gene Tierney in a black evening gown kind of sweeping down a staircase. And then the camera goes over to the corner on the left, and it's Jerome Power in a black tuxedo. I've never seen you so beautiful. She looks like $5 million. He looks like $6.5 million. <laughs> and they go off together. Oh, and you say, man. Oh, my God. That's a magical world I want to belong to. Can you talk to people a little bit who might not know that Lucille Ball was really instrumental in a lot of the, in yeah, the two main I, things that you did. I got very lucky when I first went to California, getting a contract with Lucy and Desi, at Desilu. They were putting a contract stable together, and <clears throat> uh, this was over a two-year period and a time that Desi was kind of chasing around with other women. Oh, dear. So Lucy had a lot of free time, so she spent a lot of time with about three of us in the group, and in the course of that, getting to know me. She said, you know, being an actor, you could do it, but it's not going to make you happy. I said, well, why do you think that? She said, well, you're not, you're from a small town, you're not street smart like a New Yorker. She said, you can learn to do that, but it's not part of your nature. And she said, you want to find something that fits you better than being an actor. And she said, I don't think it's a life for you. She said, you love research, you love old films, 
and uh, you were a journalism major in college, that's what you should do. We have enough actors, we don't have enough writers. And because I knew that, I've always been told, you have to be very careful of whose advice you take, because so often the advice is something that's gonna help them. But I knew she had nothing to gain from me. Mm. So that she was telling me this for my own good. And she said, the first thing you must do is write a book. And I said, really? She said, yeah, if you write a book, she said, everybody says they want to write a book, and very few people have the discipline to sit down and do it. It doesn't even have to be a good book, but just write a book, you'll get the job ahead of somebody else who's up for that job as a writer. And I did, I wrote a book about the Academy Awards, and uh, it did help me. You look like you're gliding. When we've seen you walking around, you literally like floated like a big chiffon, I don't know, gorgeous thing. Oh, how lovely oh, I mean to it. hear that. I mean it. Oh, my dear, consider your darling ass kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That is the hilarious Ruta Lee. She's been in movies like Funny Face and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. And let me tell you, that lady can spin a tail. Here's how she got an important role in Billy Wilder's classic Witness for the Prosecution, just by being her bubbly self at a Frank Sinatra concert. I had never seen Frank Sinatra. I'm, you're way too young. But, you know, during his heyday when, when girls were fainting and screaming mm -hmm. for him, nobody. No. But nobody worked the way Frank did. And he was awesome, absolutely awesome. And I sat there absolutely open-mouthed and dumbfounded by the beauty of his charisma and his ability to absolutely sway an audience wherever he wanted them to go. So a gentleman had obviously been watching me sit there with my mouth hanging open. And the gentleman said, hello. My name, Miss Lee, is Arthur Hornblow, Jr., and I am a producer, and I am producing a film right now that Billy Wilder is directing, and it is called Witness for the Prosecution, and I have just given you a very unique screen test. I watched you watch Frank Sinatra, and I think that you would be a very good love interest for Tyrone Power in my movie. How many of the words in that phrase blew your mind? I don't think I believed any of it. You know, it was, oh, yeah, really? Uh, come on. You Witness know. for the prosecutor. Tyrone yes, Power. Tyrone Power. I mean, my mouth fell open. He said, would you come in and, and meet Billy Wilder? And I said, hey, is tomorrow too soon? You know. <laughs> I'm not this girl. I'm his girl. Tell her, Len. Leonard, is this the girl who was with you in the travel bureau? The girl you said you hardly knew, didn't even know her name? That's right. That's who I am, and I know all about you. You're not his wife, never have been. You're years older than he is. We've been going together for months, and we're going away on one of those cruises, just like they said in court. Tell her yourself, Len. Marlena Dietrich took one look at me with my blonde hair and said, no, that won't do. <laughs> so I became a brunette overnight, and Clearly, I got the job, wow. and it was absolutely amazing to be working with these wonderful people. But it was thanks to Frank Sinatra. And any barmaid can be a star maid if she dances with or without a tan. That's kind of funny.
Louis Gossett Jr. is known for his award-winning roles on the stage and on screen and on television. But get this, when he was a young Broadway actor, he was also a star athlete. And that made his life kind of complicated. You were in the wonderful position of being able to create a role on Broadway with Raisin in the Sun, George Murchison, and then recreate that part in the film. It was my crossroads because I wanted to be a professional athlete. And at the same time I got the part on, on, on Raisin in the Sun, I was up in the Catskills practicing basketball. I heard a great story about those days that when you were working as an athlete, you were conscious of like not getting hurt and not getting hit in the face because, right. you know, your face is your, your yeah. calling card. Yeah, that was, that was, that was a challenge. I couldn't, I did that growing up. You put your face on everything in a way because we're playing in concrete on 6th Avenue or the, the Rucker Tournament in Harlem. I met a lot of thugs and a lot of great athletes. And you, you, I've hurt, I've broken every bone in my body almost. But all of a sudden, I got reading in the sun, man. Hey, look, honey, we're going to the theater. We're not going to be in it, you know. Oh, George, I don't like that. Do you expect this boy to go out with you looking like that? Well, now that's up to George if he's ashamed of his heritage. Oh, dear. Oh dear, here we go again. A lecture on our African past, on our great West African heritage. In one second, you know, we're gonna hear all about the great Ashanti empires, the Songhai civilizations, the, the sculpture of Benin, some poems in the Bantu, and then the whole monologue is going to end up with the word heritage. I had to make a choice. I transferred from sports to art. Raised in the sun. Of course, because I can imagine as a basketball player going, don't touch my face, or as yeah. a football player, get away, get away. In 1982, Gossett won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for his role in the film Officer and a Gentleman as Gunnery Sergeant Emil Foley. You did extensive preparation for that. You went and um, talk about that. I went to basic training down in the MCRD. Mm -hmm. uh, so so I, me and my, my agent, <clears throat> just go and get it. Now I have to be sorry for what I asked for. <laughs> now I've got to be this Marine. It's my shot. So I went down to San Diego, Camp Pendleton, a place called Marine Corps Recruitment Division where they trained the DI. Spent 38 days with Sundays off. The Iron Man course, did the running, uh, woke the guys up off the bus, baseball bat and the garbage can cover. Get up, get up, get up. Right, did right, all right. that. Did everything but smoke the camels and drink the beer. I don't believe what I'm seeing. Where you've been all your lives. At an orgy? Listen to Mick Jagger music and bad mouthing your country, I bet. Stop eyeballing me, yeah, is that where you got the All that stuff I brought all out with me. Richard gives us a ton of the script. Stop eyeballing me, boy. I'll rip your eyeballs out the sockets and skull. Fuck you to death. So then he was smart enough to realize we're getting ready to do something halfway decent. And he made that wonderful commitment. Sir. What's your name, boy? Mayo. Zach Mayo, sir. How did you slip into this program? I didn't know the Navy was so hard up. It did feel like your game was so raised that everybody else kind of... Everybody's game was raised. It was a pleasure. Your blood is red as mine, isn't it, Mayo? Seeing that scene with you and Richard Gere in the hangar, you yeah. kick him, you know, where, where it hurts the worst. How did you guys, like, do that? I mean, was that a stage? It was stage, over a three-day period. Right. So I had a little hairline fracture in the rib, and he had a little break in the clavicle, and we did about three hours a day of that to get it as perfect as possible. Holy, because it looks like devastating, both of you. You can quit now, Mayo, if you want to. We had to do a little acting, but we, <laughs> we, got, we got it to pretty good shape. One of the things that I love is 
the, the lack of sentimentality between you and he at the very end, yeah, yeah, yeah. where you're like, get the hell out of here. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's what, what they said, the Marines, you really love them, but you got to sit on it. Mm. Hooray for Hollywood. When you're terrific, if you're even good. This is Ileana Douglas I'm talking to, who is a an actress, a writer, an activist. How does that make you feel? Exhausted. <laughs> it makes me feel exhausted. You know Ileana from her roles in movies like Goodfellas, Cape Fear, and To Die For. That girl has some chops. And dig this, her grandfather was Hollywood royalty. When you think that your grandfather, the great Melvin Douglas, mm -hmm. had done all these really wonderful films, and so you have that lineage, and then you were living in a very, very bohemian kind of yeah. wild, kind of wildcat kind of life. You want to talk a little bit about that disparity? I always thought of my my story as told through the movies. And this was a time growing up where we really emulated everything that was happening in the movies. And a film like Easy Rider just, you know, influenced a generation of people. Yeah. You know, it was saying that there's a different way to live. The catchphrase of the movie is, we went looking for an America that was no longer there. Mm -hmm. And so I think that my parents, you know, s saw the film and, and didn't want to be caught into this middle class values and two cars and a garage and, you know, all of that stuff. So we changed, we had an alternative lifestyle of, you know, living like hippies and it was, you know, at the time when I was growing up, I was like, oh my God, it's horrible. I don't have any nice toys. But of course, once you, <laughs> once you grow up, I realized it was the greatest, you know, childhood, uh, you know, of all. But juxtaposing that with visiting my grandfather, Melvin Douglas, you know, who's living in a really nice apartment in the Upper West Side mm -hmm. with doormen and all, all that kind of thing. I was, I was like, hmm. And that's this seems pretty good too. Yeah. Like you can ring a bell and food comes. <laughs> As opposed to at your house, what would happen if you like rung a bell or was there f there was food, of course, but well, there was food. Like you know, my mom, we would we had food stamps, and my mom would argue because again, my mother didn't understand. Like it's sort of complicated to explain to a cashier. We had chosen to be poor. You know, like we were like white people who chose an alternative lifestyle. So trying to explain to a cashier, you know, that, you know, hamburger, you could, for food stamps, you could get hamburger helper, but you couldn't get like fresh, you know, chicken. Right, that's she how it was then. Right, so she didn't understand that, totally. So, so it wasn't like, hey, I'm Bohemian, my name is Rainforest, and you know, no. you didn't, that wasn't your only no, existence. No, no, we were living in a real wealthy community, so for me as a kid, it was like total shock and shame, and you know, I mean, my worst fear would be that somebody would see us with food stamps. Oh my goodness. You know, like that would be this, you know, this horrible thing or my father again jovially bringing us to soup kitchens and like standing <laughs> do you think they thought carefully about how this might affect their children or was it they something it was, I mean here's the thing as an adult of course I it's it's the great you know like right. I would not have chosen anything else because it gives me empathy it gives me an understanding of people's circumstances but 
I think that coming out of the late 60s, going into the 70s, they thought that, you know, we all thought we were going to change everything. I think that they were those kind of parents that were very liberal, and they thought that, you know, we just do a few peace protests, and we do some things, and we're all in this together. And, you know, I think that the sad thing for people like my parents was that by the late 70s when things didn't change, Mm -hmm. and so a certain bitterness kind of creeps in of like there was all this it was like love peace and love and liberal and we all love each other and get along and then things just didn't go you know the way they expected it to go and you know and there was even like touches of violence and drugs and things like that it was it was almost like for me as a child it was as if drugs maybe that was my uh looking at the Mm. grown-ups the drug thing kind Mm -hmm. of ruined it for everybody Mm -hmm. Check out her memoir, I Blame Dennis Hopper and Other Stories from a Life Lived in and Out of the Movies. It's available in bookstores and on Amazon.com. We're anyone at all from Shirley Temple to Amy Semple is equally understood. Next up. Okay, I love this intense scene from the movie On the Waterfront between Oscar winners Marlon Brando and Eva Marie Saint. I don't know what you want me to do, but I ain't gonna do it, so forget it. I don't want you to do anything. You let your conscience tell you what to do. Shut up about that conscience. That's all I've been hearing. I want to read you a a line that you had from On the Waterfront. I didn't say that I don't love you. I said, I want you to get out. No, I didn't say that. Yeah, I didn't say I don't no, love you. let's get it right. Oh, tell me what it is. Okay. I didn't say I didn't love you. Uh-huh. I just said leave. I don't think I said get out. Oh, see, that's okay. I, did I say to get out from Waterfront? Oh, look it up. I want you didn't to say I didn't love you. I said stay away from me. I want, I want to live a scene where I get to say a line like that. Would you, you know? say it right now? <laughs> no, I Would don't. you on camera say it? I didn't say I don't love you. I said I want you to get out. Or I want you to leave. See, I'm saying it wrong. All right, let's leave that line alone. <laughs> Forget it. Why'd you tell me you were a virgin? Because you asked me, honey. And I was. I've noticed in your work, you have a feel and a compassion for all of your characters. I so loved uh, viewing All Fall Down again. When you and I first started seeing one another and I knew how I felt about you, I decided to take a gamble. And I did. I took a gamble that someday you would love me. She's so beautiful and so, and so deep and so sad Mm -hmm. so many so many different layers Mm -hmm. you are free as the day god made you very very do you hear me very very you're free oh god very very and it has a sad ending and 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 it's interesting because people have said all right did did she take her life Mm -hmm. or was it an accident and and i say you decide go out and Try your luck, you might be Donald Duck. I grew up watching Angie Dickinson on the hit TV series Police Woman. But she was a movie star first in films like Ocean's Eleven, uh, Dress to Kill, and the John Ford classic Rio Bravo. In this scene, she's putting the moves on the Duke, John Wayne. I thought you were never going to say it. Say what? That you loved me. 
I said I'd arrest you. It means the same thing. You know that. You just won't say it. Oh, we're different. I'll have to get used to you. Me, I just talk all the time. You most certainly do. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like making Rio Bravo? I'm so intrigued <laughs> by that and by how you seem to bring out these qualities in John Wayne. It, I mean, he's a sexy guy, but like you guys had some sparkle yeah. going on that I had never quite yeah. seen before. I can't explain it other than it was genuine on my part that I, I you know, why, who didn't look up to him and and I mean he's a romantic man he's built big and strong like you know he'll take he'll tell you uh, where, uh, he'll show you he'll what's show going you on. what's going on <laughs> tell me something these tights now why didn't you want me to wear them because I didn't want anybody but me to see you in them oh I like that he was a quiet, uh, you know, one of those quiet, sexy guys in the corner all the time. He wasn't talkative, believe it or oh. not, even though he was a Gemini, that, because they're usually very open and fresh and outgoing. It is that quiet power that's sitting off, yeah. you know, yeah. across a room and you can't take your eyes off yeah. it. You yeah. know? But also, um, you know, uh, at the time he was married and at the time I had a boyfriend that I was crazy about. So, you know, destiny is funny. It has to come around at the right time. But I, <laughs> but I, 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 I was a little afraid to get involved with him, even if I could have. Because, Why was that? Well, because he's intimidating. And, you know, I, sometimes you say, hey, before you go in those waters, you better be sure you're ready for right, it. Right, know that you can handle it. Exactly. Yeah. Because uh, I'm not a one-nighter. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. I like hearing that about you. Uh, this is Sergeant Anderson, police headquarters. I've got a complaint for you, Sergeant. I have to ask you about Pepper and Policewoman yes. because that really was a, a revolutionary role mm -hmm. at a really powerful time that really influenced a lot of young women. Yes. What was it like for you to have the lead role in a police series and be a sexy, beautiful cop? Yeah, we had to be careful since we were the first. Right. You have to be cautious. You can't go in too deep uh, if you're breaking grounds. Now, what the hell are you doing down here by yourself? My job. Why? Look, if you want a solo, I'll get you a job directing traffic down at Sixth and Hill. Now, there are about 400 other policewomen who can follow orders if you can't. Now, she's my snitch and didn't want company along. That's the way we work. We always had to make sure she wasn't too tough, that she wasn't too ballsy, that she was not condescending to men, nor the opposite, or, or too much of a tart, uh, and have a good role model. So, uh, yes, we were very much aware of that. And it was, I, I, it felt good. I loved it. I, I loved that there the enrollment for policewomen, women went way up. Did you feel kind of like, hey, I helped make that happen? I certainly do, and I did. The police union gave me a badge oh. because they said something like 17% increase in enrollment while my show was on, wow. you know, which is a pretty good amount. Hooray for Hollywood. One more time. Hooray for Hollywood. Thank you. Well, that's our show. Huge thanks to Turner Classic Movies for the honor of meeting and talking to Robert Osborne, Angie Dickinson, Ileana Douglas, Louis Gossett Jr., Ruta Lee, and Eva Marie Saint. You can see their movies and other cinema classics on the Turner Classic Movies Network, online at TCM.com, and on the Watch TCM app. 
The Giles Files was created by Nancy Giles and Nancy Wyatt, produced, directed, and edited by Nancy Wyatt, recorded at our studios in Weehawken, New Jersey, and on the TCM Classic Movie Cruise aboard the Disney Magic. Special thanks to Showbridge Studios in New York City and to our future big-name sponsors. We'll be back soon with a new Giles Files, okay?